Well, this is the last sermon out of the book of Colossians. Don't you just love the Bible? I hope you do. We're trying to, we're trying to whet your appetite for the greatest book ever written and uh, the most popular book in the world. You know, it's, it, it would be number one on the bestseller list and on the New York Times list every year if they listed it. But it, it sells 10 times more than any book any other year. But it's sold in so many different versions, translations, and bindings, it's not listed that way. But it's, it's just an amazing book because it's the Word of God. And as we look at it today, at, we're at the end of our Come Alive series. And I'm going to ask you to come alive in this way today that is written in the Word of God, and that's to reach out to those who do not know Jesus Christ. And I'm just calling this sermon simply, How to Treat Unbelievers. What's God want us to do when it comes to our orientation towards those who don't know him? I read a story this week about a man whose job was to work on the railroad tracks and specifically to warn oncoming trains, this was many years ago, with a lantern if the tracks were out. And one night, amazingly such a scenario happened. A train was coming, there was damage to the bridge ahead, and the man showed his lamp, but the train went right off the ditch or right off the tracks into the ditch. It didn't pay attention. And that man soon found himself in a courtroom where a judge was trying to figure out who was to blame. And the judge asked that railroad, raid, railroad worker, rather, were you on duty on the night that the train had the accident? The worker said, yes, sir, I was. The judge said, did you have your lamp with you? The man replied, I did. And the judge asked him one last question. Did you wave the lamp to warn the train? And the man said, yes, sir, I did. When the ruling came down that day from the judge, that railroad man was so relieved that he was not held responsible. On the way home, however, he said to his wife as they were driving away, I am so glad that judge didn't ask me if my lamp was on. It's not necessarily the humor of that, but this serious thought that I want to bring out. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Bible talks about our lamp and our light, which is our witness of Jesus. And that story made me think, you know, a lot of us have our lamps out, but we don't have our lights on. And that's a question we have to ask ourselves as we approach the word and what Bible says about reaching out to unbelievers. Are we shining the light or just waving a lamp that's not lit? Colossians 4, 5 says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And those are the words we're gonna look at today so that we can shine our lights. Let's pray. Father, move now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're, we're flawed. We're imperfect, but we love you. And you love us. You've made it so abundantly clear. And there's some things that you've asked us to do. And as we look at this, Lord, I pray that we would know that you will empower us and use us and bring great joy to our lives if we follow this truth. Help us see that. Help us do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's break down Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Here's how it starts. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Let's, we're going to look at two words, among and wisely. We're going to concentrate because that's the emphasis in that line, that sentence. But one of the things we need to be aware of is the fact that God wants us to be among and reach out to unbelievers. 
what is the pattern for the church when people get saved? Well, first of all, people, when they come to know Jesus, they have a bunch of unsaved friends, and sometimes the most effective witnesses are people who get saved, and immediately they start to share with others. Like the woman at the well, after she met Jesus, she said, come see a man who told me everything about me. And that can happen in an unbeliever's life. And I think there's great opportunity because they know so many unbelievers, right? They're their closest relationships. But after a year or two, they don't have as many friends that are unsaved. And after three or four, they get connected in a church in a small group. And these are all good things. But pretty soon, in four or five years, they don't have any friends, any acquaintances, any people they really talk to in a serious fashion that don't know Jesus. If we're not careful, we can develop this protection mentality. I have to protect my kids. I have to protect myself. I, I have to be careful not to let, you know, this evil world penetrate my home, our life. That all sounds good, and there's some truth to that, right? That we don't want to be impacted by the vain philosophies of the world. But all through this word, it talks about mixing with, being among, knowing, loving, and shining the light with unbelievers. How can we shine the light if we're never around them? That was never the thought that God wanted. This word among, I like the way that the King James Version uh, translates it, walk in wisdom toward. Okay, the New Living Translation said among, the King James Version translated that word toward. I looked up that word in the Greek and here's part of the definition. Now we're talking about our orientation towards unbelievers now. The, the, the Greek word means forward to by the side of or near to unbelievers. So when it says walk among, it doesn't mean like in the mall where you don't know them or see them. It means like in life, near to them. With an orientation toward them that they might know of the love of God. So here's a question for all of us. I'm not really trying to impose guilt. We're just looking at the word. It's like a mirror. It illuminates what we really are. And so we examine ourselves. I'm not, I, I'm not calling you out today. I'm calling myself out. <laughs> are we oriented in our lives towards reaching out to unbelievers? Do we even know any? Where are the spots where we could even have opportunity? If we're not in spots like that, then I would just recommend that you reorient your life, that I reorient my life a little bit to make sure that there's some opportunity I have to reach out to the unbeliever, building relationships with, loving, live among them, it says. Then it says live wisely among them. Wisely here means to be a good example. Your character. So that others could watch and see Jesus in you and like it and want to follow. Because after all, unbelievers are watching closely, aren't they? Some of them just to criticize when they see something wrong. And God says, be careful the way you live. You say, what does it matter? God loves me. Well, here's one of the things that matter. You know, first, your sin will hurt you and damage your life. Secondly, other people won't want to follow Jesus if we're not living. A life that's toward him, a life that's pure. They'll say, I've got that right now. If they don't see any difference, then what is there to follow? We have to be careful the way we act, the way we live among people. You remember I told you that years ago, the story, at, I was at Kmart with Aaron, my son, and 
Aaron was probably 10 years old and a basketball player, and I thought we had plenty of time to stop by and get this item I needed at home. 20 minutes before, you know, the, he was supposed to be at the gym for his game. And I got the item and I got in line. There were only two lines and they were both really long. And uh, I chose, which I always do, the wrong line. You know how it goes. You're watching the other line and I'm halfway now, but it's taken 10 minutes. The other line has been all the way through twice, but I think, well, maybe I could go over there and maybe I should go to that line. But if I go over there, I'll lose my place here. And then the line went through again on the other side. And so now we're late. We can't be there on time for Aaron's game. And I'm feeling, and I'm getting upset at this old lady behind the counter. She is the slowest thing I've ever seen in my life. She's way too nice to everybody that's going up there. I mean, people have things to do in life. Let's go. One little guy had his baseball cards and she said, oh, honey, that's not right. And she walked away from the counter and went over to another place and was bending over looking at the cards and talking to the boy. And I was like, are you kidding me? I've got someplace to go. And so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell her that she should think about everybody in this line when I get up there, that people have busy lives, and she should think about that and take them through. I'm trying to get my words just right because I don't want to be too mean, but I'm, I'm just going to tell her. I've decided. And just before I get up to the counter, just before she turns to speak to me, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me something I've never heard before and not since. Here's what I heard. Don't you dare. That's all I heard. <laughs> And I was like, really? Because I think it would be appropriate. She's not aware. And, but, I, but I really felt, you know, it must be, it must be God. The devil wouldn't say that, right? And, and um, so I just, I just held my powder. And she turned to me, said hello, and I said hello. And she looked again. And she said, Pastor Stan, I didn't know you shopped at Kmart. I was glad that I listened to God. You know, I, I, think, um, I think God would say that to all of us in lots of situations. When, you know, when the neighbor's tree is putting leaves in our yards and it's upsetting to us and when the coach isn't playing our kid right and when our boss or a coworker did something wrong. I think quite often if we were listening, the Holy Spirit would say, don't you because it's not even about justice sometimes is it it's about his witness through us and so we have to watch it because people will accept or reject the Lord on the basis of our witness because we're saying we're his and people are going to say if that's what he looks like then I don't want him or wow what is that they have and living wisely means to be careful about being angry. Here's some other ways we can live wrong with a wrong orientation. If we're materialistic, that's a terrible witness to the world. I mean, most of them in America, at least many of them, their God is money and things. And so if we make that orientation ours, that it's all about making money and getting stuff, and what are they gonna see in us that they don't already have? It shows that we're off. How about if we're legalistic? We know the rules in the Bible. Well, the problem with always sharing the rules is you're not sharing what brings people to Christ and it's the love of God. And we see some righteous men and women who always want to talk about what's wrong 
and what's right, but there's no orientation of love. That's a terrible witness. Hey, I believe in the truth and the boundaries and the word, but it's the love of God that draws people. If we're prideful, if we're living immoral, sexually immoral lives, all of these things are terrible witnesses. God wants to bless our lives, but he wants us to have this thought in our hearts too. Other people are watching. Live wisely among them so they can see who I am. If so-called believers are bad examples, then unbelievers will not be interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of the good news. Ephesians 5, verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Live among them. Live wisely among them. Second thought we see in verse five of Colossians four. Make the most of every opportunity. So, it's not enough to walk carefully alongside believers, even though God asks us to do that. Evidently, he's going to send opportunities that we're to take advantage of to share the good news. So, you don't want to watch a good movie and turn the sound down, is what God is saying here. Because you won't get what the movie's all about with no sound, right? You might see a few pretty things and epic scenes along the way in a movie, but no volume There's no understanding. And God says, I want you to live wisely. It's your thoughts. It's your actions. I want you to be among them, but I'm gonna give you opportunities to share about my love. So God says, make the most of those opportunities. Talking about how to live among them now. Second Corinthians says this about you and me. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, to God. I like, again, the King James Version talks, talks about it this way, redeem the time, and that's the same translation, the New Living Translation, make the most of every opportunity. That phrase, redeem the time, make the most of the opportunity, in the Greek, here's what it meant in that culture. It's a term that they understood for buying up an opportunity. Like a merchant would see a really good bargain. Ladies, if you're a shopper, you understand this, right? How much money have you saved your husband because you got 70% off on something several times in your life, right? And, and, and saved yourself. But sometimes you come across, even in business, you know, a, a deal that's unbelievable and it's real and you gotta take advantage of it. Now is the time to buy the bargain or to make the deal that will yield great results. That's what this term meant. It was, it was a merchandise marketing business term, seize the opportunity. And God used that phraseology to let us know that he's going to put opportunities in front of us that have just all been about this moment where, where there's an accumulation of planting and watering and a harvest might take place. Share now. This is the opportunity. God gives us amazing specific opportunities at times. And he says, I want you to take them. So here's a thought for us. Are we even aware of opportunities during our week? Do we even think that way? I mean, every week he's giving us opportunities. We might not be seeing them, right? So God, I mean, God's just saying to his church today, 
I love you. I think you're wonderful. I want to reach some people through you. I'm going to give you some opportunities. I'd like you to be aware of them and seize them so that people can know me. Wow, isn't that something? I mean, in one way, it's really exciting that God has called me to work alongside him. I'm telling you, there's nothing more exciting in life than knowing that God has worked through you to help someone come to Jesus Christ. We can't save anybody. He does the saving, right? But we get to partner with God. He's chosen to work through you and I to speak words through us. That's, we're ambassadors. That's the way he's chosen to do it. And so he'll give us opportunities. Now, here's a thought. These scriptures that I'm about to read precede these thoughts in, in Colossians. These are verses just before our orientation towards unbelievers that I'm talking about today. Just before this thought of make the most of every opportunity. Same chapter says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. It's a context of unbelieving people that you would be prayerful. And then Paul says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about the mysterious plan concerning Christ. So we're to pray for ourselves and pray for others for opportunities. Now I'm telling you, if you will pray for opportunities to reach to someone who doesn't know Jesus, they'll just come. It's amazing how it happens. The number one thing that happens is there's an awareness in us. And then we're actually, when the opportunity comes, the Spirit speaks and we know, here's one of those opportunities I've been praying for and we can go. And Paul says, that is why I'm here in change. Paul was asking to pray for him. He's in prison when he writes this. He's praying for opportunities. Well, who can you witness to in prison when you're isolated in your cell? Evidently, prayer will bring them from everywhere because they came from regions and countries and soldiers and they all came to see him at prison and he was leading them to Jesus Christ. And I think prayer was one of the big reasons that was happening. Pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should, the scriptures say. So I want to ask you to pray and ask the Lord to open doors for you to witness. I want to talk to you about opportunities that have come my way now. I'm in danger of trying to make myself look spiritual, but let me start by saying, or over-spiritual, um, <clears throat> I'm a flawed person who's missed many, many opportunities to witness in my life. But I'm not unlike you probably, right? You wanna do something for Jesus, so do I. And, and, and I just wanna share your, uh, with you a few times that, that the Lord spoke and I saw the opportunity was there because I'm not sure we realize some of these things are opportunities. So let me just give you a vast array of things that have happened in my life. I remember I was playing basketball at George Fox many years ago and there was a player on our team, his name was Toby, six foot four, 225 pounds, ripped with muscle, unbelievable athlete and he wasn't a believer. And um, the Lord was just showing me that I, I hadn't really spoken to him all year long near the end of the year one year and, and God was saying, I, w I, want you to, I want you to share with him. So I was praying for an opportunity and then one day Toby, who wanted nothing to do with God and actually mocked Christians quite a bit, one day the two of us are in the locker room and Toby says, man, I'm getting married to this girl, I'm engaged to her, but I don't know. He said, I've been watching these Christian girls and they're different. I don't know what it is. Ding. Opportunity. What is it about these girls? And I started to say, well, you know, they love Jesus. 
And I started to say how Christians are loyal and faithful because Jesus is in them and they want to follow Christ so they'll they'll love the right way because Jesus teaches them how to love. And I got to share with Toby for about 10 minutes because that door was open. I remember I was working out at the gym in in Tualatin. It's been a while. But I was doing that at one time in my life. And... um, I had talked to this guy and I didn't know anything about him. He seemed nice and, uh, you know, he asked me what I did and, and, and I, I asked him what he did and after a few times he said to me at one point, um, my boyfriend left me. Well, that caught my attention a little bit. He knew I was a, a pastor and he said uh, he became a Christian. And the the guy's brokenhearted. And he said, um, at some point in that conversation, do you think I'm going to hell? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I saw it as an opportunity because here's what I saw. All he's ever been told about or thought about is the judgment of God. Nobody's told him about the love of God. So I quoted some scripture to him. I said, here's what the Bible says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everybody has sinned. The Bible says that we must confess and forsake our sin and Jesus will come into our heart. But here's what the Bible says. God loves you and he wants to draw you to himself and he wants to bless you. And so I got to share Jesus with that guy that day. I remember being on a plane and a young lady named Farah, a beautiful young lady. As a matter of fact, I, the, the, Lord, the Lord prompts me and uses me on airplanes quite a bit. And I was so tired from whatever I was doing, I can't remember what it was, that I actually said before I got on the plane that day, please Lord, not today, I'm just really tired. I don't want to share, can I just sleep or rest or something? And so I got on and Farah was there and, and, and we didn't talk much and at some point I pulled up my Bible and started to read the Bible and she said something about the Bible. I used to read the Bible. I used to go to church and she just started talking and I felt like the Lord said, no, you may not rest today. <laughs> so I closed the Bible and I just listened to her for a while and then eventually she came to this question. She talked about a bunch of legalistic Christians she knew and I just listened. And then she said, do you think it's a sin to smoke marijuana? Well, here again is a lady who's, no, who's heard all about the rules, but she hasn't heard about the love, right? And so she, she doesn't really not need to, I mean, that's not the main question. The main question she needs to understand, the main point is God is love, and he would draw you to himself. But I, I said, you know, I, I like what one of my friends say. When you, when you come to Jesus, you don't need additional highs, My friend says, I don't do drugs because I don't want to come down from this high that Jesus has me on. And I talked about how those things tend to mess our lives up and God doesn't want to see us hurt. And and then we talked about Jesus. And she told me about, it's, it's no wonder people come to Jesus when this is their grid. She told me about her sister's husband who was a Christian and beat her sister with his fist. 
And I had the chance to say to her, I'm so sorry, that is not the heart of God. God doesn't want that. That is terrible sin. And then that same man would criticize her for not going to church. I got to pray for her and her sister. I got to tell her of another church in that town that she was from. That would be a good one to go to where you find people who love Jesus, will love right and care about you. Karen and I sent her a package. I gave her my favorite Bible. That, I felt the Lord saying that. I was going, really, this one? Come on. But I, I, I signed it, gave it to her, sent her sermons and package. And I don't know what Farah's doing today, but I hope she's following Jesus. I think we all have opportunities like this continually, you know. And we're not, I'm not sure we're aware of it. I remember when a guy from Rotary said to me when I had lunch with him, why is Jesus the only way? So I got to say, the Bible says he's the only begotten son of God. The Bible says that we'd all sinned and we were separated from God the Father and God sent his son Jesus, the only one he sent to pay the price and become the ransom. Only Jesus because Jesus was the only plan the Father had to redeem us. Some of these people came to Jesus immediately, some of them didn't. But you know, when it comes to witness, it's not our job to drive it home, right? I mean, the Bible talks about planting and watering and harvesting. Well, I'll tell you why I'm no good with the garden. Because I want to water it and see it now. Okay? I'm going to come out here for months and there's nothing? I don't think so. You know, I mean, that's, that's so kind of the way many of us are wired. Well, when it comes to witness, it's that loving life. It's that caring heart. It's an opportunity of a word that's spoken. Not every time will God prompt you to speak a word. Sometimes people would rather see a sermon than hear one. Sometimes after they've seen a sermon, they're willing to listen to something that comes from the truth of the word of God. But being aware I told you recently about Joseph at D.C. and the way that conversation started. And he came to Jesus as a guide right there in that mall. What was that building? The Capitol building. Yeah, it's easy for me to forget uh, such difficult names and remote places in the world. I can't remember them. But Joseph came to Christ right there that day and it all started with, I'm going to die. That's what the doctor told me. Ding, ding opportunity <clears throat> and then there's the prompting of the Holy Spirit sometimes there's a proactive life that and, and that's really important but sometimes it's just a moment that God has prepared and a specific thing he wants you to do and I want you to know those of you that are you, you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit he'll just give you a word or a thought that you could not have known sometimes and he'll say I want you to share with this person that thought right now after all, the gifts in the Bible and the New Testament have not ceased. They're words of knowledge and words of prophecy and they're all for today. And it's exciting to know that the God in heaven is not just some distant being that's not closely connected, that he'll give us something that's so unique and specific that people will say, wow, he really does exist because his word comes through us. There was such a time once and again, I, I, uh, I, I just want to say I've missed a lot of opportunities, made a lot of mistakes, probably been a bad witness in some scenarios too, not telling those stories today, just these. 
but I was in the Bahamas. We were having an outreach with about 60 students. We had prayed for a couple of hours and we sent them out to the streets. Some of them were doing ministry with music and some of the leaders, we just started going to the streets and talking to people about Jesus. Radical, huh? I went into a grocery store, the equivalent of a Safeway here, a chain supermarket that was huge. And while I was witnessing to some people in the aisles talking about Jesus, some were receptive, some weren't. I felt that the Spirit of God spoke to me a specific word of knowledge for a young lady that was behind the cash register and it scared me, it was so specific. And I thought, oh man, what if I'm wrong? And then I had this thought, and this is what I would say to you about the gifts. I'd rather try, be wrong, and miss than never try. Right, because you can, all these gifts can move with humility, right? You don't have to act like you're the cat's meow and you know, you, you, you and God or like this, he's the tall one, you know, just barely taller than you. And uh, I mean, right, I mean, we can be so cocky. The gift should work in humility. So I waited in line. And then when I got to her, I just spoke it. And I was scared. But I said, I feel like the Lord sent me to give you a word, and here's the word. Your husband just left you. You have three kids. You've been lying in your bed at night crying, saying, God, where are you? And he wants you to know he loves you and he's, he wants to draw you to himself. And she just started to bawl right away. She just broke down. She said, how did you know? And I felt like saying, you mean it's true? <laughs> but I didn't because I don't know why I didn't. I just didn't. And I felt this boldness. Did you know the Holy Spirit, you know, we like this, I believe in a personal prayer language. I have a prayer language. I speak in tongues. It's a personal devotional prayer language and it's just wonderful. I, I want to talk about, about that more with you sometimes. It just edifies and builds me up as a believer. But sometimes we talk about that as like it's the thing. Well, do you know what else shows up when the Holy Spirit fills people with power? It's probably in there more than tongues is in the, in the New Testament. Boldness. You watch where the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit came and felt boldness. Holy Spirit felt boldness. Holy Spirit felt courage, boldness. And man, I'm telling you, when you're in the operation of the Holy Spirit, courage and boldness will come to you that you, you just would do things you wouldn't do on your own or normally do. And I said to this young lady, would you pray with me and invite Christ into your heart? And she said she would. This lady shut down her cash register with people in line walked around to the aisle and she's just crying and two big black men come up and they watch, you know, here's this white guy who's got this Bahamian lady crying and they don't know what it is and I'm starting to get a little bit afraid. I'm going, it's just, it's just about a love and a God deal. We're gonna, it, you know, I'm not gonna hurt her. And, but we prayed and she invited Jesus into her life. I've never seen her since then. But I'm gonna tell you, she had an encounter with God, not with Stan, but with God. And I believe that God will work through all of us with his promptings. It may not have, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. Sometimes it's just that Jesus loves you. Have you heard me talk about my friend Steve Zimke, who's a minister in Washington? He was a drug addict coming out of the drug culture in the 60s. His life was messed up. He was miserable. He's walking down the street in Seattle and he says, God, if you're real, let me know. And at that very moment, some dude from the sixth story in an apartment building yelled down, hey, you, 
He looks around, no one else in the street. You! And he's pointing, and Steve goes, me? And he goes, yes, Jesus loves you! That's a pretty quick answer, God, if you're real, you know? I'm not saying yell from a window. I'm not saying talk to the lady at Safeway. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit will prompt you. That's what I'm saying. And it's okay to test that and say, Lord, is that you? I remember Jack Hayford saying once that he was on an airplane and the Lord spoke to him and said, tell her I see her has naked before me. And he was like, what? I'm not telling that lady that. That can't be God, but he felt it over and over again. So he's trying to feel like, where can you work that into the conversation, you know? <laughs> hey, I live in L.A., and God sees you as naked before him. You know, I mean, I mean, there's just not a good spot to. But he found a way to say it, and she started crying. She said, I've never believed God was real, and I've always told him I feel like I'm naked and wounded and hurting, and nobody's here for me. I'm certainly not telling you to say that to anybody, okay? I'm, I'm just saying it's different every time. And the Holy Spirit is so creative and knows right where people are at. I think we should live proactively and pray for opportunity, but I think we need to respond to those promptings at times too and reach out. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. When we pray and we watch for opportunities to witness, the Lord will bring them and and, and we'll share, and there'll be an impact. Planting, watering, harvesting. Third thought today from the scriptures, verse six, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. I don't know where it happened that we started to preach with close to an angry spirit and call it the anointing. But it happened in America for a season. I remember Aaron was... I, I like to watch Christian TV because it's pretty good entertainment. You know, these preachers and some of them are good and some of them, you know, make me wonder and they, they might wonder about me too. But, but I'll watch every now and just to see what they're saying. One time, my son Aaron was about five years old and he's walking by and he sees this guy just going, God's head, he's got his finger going and he looks at the TV, he stops and he goes, what's he so mad about? I said, well, he's not mad, Aaron. He's preaching. He, he thinks he's anointed. He, Aaron said, looks mad to me. And he just walked away. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's not the way we look to the world as Christians quite often. I mean, look, look what this says. Conversation, let it be gracious and attractive. Now, I believe in prophetic words. You've heard me talk. I believe there can be a strong word at times. But predominantly, God says, I want your orientation to an unbeliever to be gracious and attractive when it comes to your words. It says, in another version, the NIV, seasoned with salt. There are two ways in that culture salt was used, as a preservative, meaning they did not have refrigerators in this day, right, in this culture. So when they said seasoned with salt, they knew that they, they would put that on their meat and it would make it last for a few more days, give it an extended life. So they wouldn't have to go to the market. You know, we have our refrigerator. They didn't. They wouldn't have to go to the market for every meal. They could season some of this stuff and keep it from spoiling because salt was on it. 
Meaning, if you don't season it with gracious words, corruption can take place. Spoiling can take place. A ruining of that opportunity can take place. So a mean spirit, a prideful, condescending attitude, a few cuss words even, because you're angry, can just kind of spoil it for people who are watching and saying, you know, yeah, I don't think so. Romans 2.4 tells us how God draws us. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's just a great verse. His kindness leads us to repentance, another version says. Another way salt was used was to enhance the flavor of something. The same way we use it today. That's, how we, that's all we know it as, is to you know, to, to savor something. And here's, here's all I have to tell you. French fries. You ever had French fries with no salt? Okay, but not great. You get just the right amount of salt and baby, they start crying for some Coke, don't they? Right after that, you know. And the salt, it just tastes so good and pretty soon you need this other stuff to wash it down. And that's kind of the way it is with gracious, compassionate, loving words towards unbelievers. It just flavors everything real nice and before you know it, they want to partake and take a drink of the living water that Christ brings. Gracious words. A kind orientation. Look at this about Jesus. You ever notice this verse? Luke 4, 22. It's talking about Jesus. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Wow, there's our example Gracious words coming from the lips of Jesus himself. And Jesus lives in us, right? I mean, that's, that's an amazing miracle that he knocks on the door of our heart and when we invite him in, he comes in and then he, he, in, he, he inhabits our hearts and our lives and his spirit will speak to us and, and we, can, we can be the bearers of the gracious words that he himself would say if he, would say if he was present. And actually, he's present in us and he's speaking through us with gracious words. Grace in our hearts because we've received grace, right? How can you give gracious words? Just think about where you were. Come on, man. One of the most irritating things about Christians, forgive me for having this attitude, but is how they forgot where they were. How they start to look down their nose at other people who are bad sinners. How... How quickly, now I don't want you to think back with condemnation and guilt about where you've been, but could you think back about your story and how the grace of God forgave you? And how can we have grace on our lips because we have it in our hearts because we know we've been forgiven, right? That's what grace is. We've received it so we freely give. Jesus called out to them in Matthew 4, 19 and said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. That's what I'm telling you about how to make an attractive presentation that the fish will bite. I know you've heard this story before, but I like it, so I'm gonna tell it again. It's been a while. Aaron was about four years old, my son, and we went fishing to Lake Tillicum. The only pole we had was a Snoopy fishing pole about this long totally worthless you know we could barely reel in the little perch but that day there was nothing biting we had this whole box of night crawlers and they were about this long and Aaron was more interested in the worms than the water and you know he was all boy and a rock and a stick and, I, and but nothing was biting that day so we were getting ready to leave and he'd been begging me the whole time if he could put a worm on the hook well you know 
give a four-year-old a worm and a hook and, you know, what's going to happen, right? So I was saying, no, no, well, you can't put a whole worm on and, no, dad, I can do it. I can, I think I can do it where they'll bite. And I go, no, son, because what does he know about fishing? He doesn't know anything. He's four. We got Snoopy pole, you know. I've been fishing all my life. And so at the end, I thought, well, I'll make him happy and get, let him put the worm on. So he takes this long night crawler and he just pokes it on the hook from in the middle. And it's just wiggling like crazy, you know. And I look at him, he goes, that's it. I go, yeah, I'm not even sure I can throw that. He goes, no, dad, try it. It'll work. So I you have to throw it slow so the worm doesn't come off, right, when they're that big on this little hook. So I th- slow, and it goes out there and sits, and there's this little bobber, and I'm saying, yeah, okay, we're just going to stay for a few minutes, and then the bobber goes, Zzzz. it disappeared. The line started going out. I said, oh, Aaron, I, I think we might have something here, and I, bam, this little Snoopy pole is going, Zzzz, like that. And, I mean, we've got this huge fish on. Whatever this presentation was, it was very attractive to the fish, Right? Evidently, a worm just, you know, free-flowing free is, is something that, you, that, that looks good to a fish. And we reeled that thing in, and he was screaming. It was a four-pound bass that we caught on a Snoopy pole, and he said, I told you, Dad! <laughs> and that's what Jesus is showing us, an attractive presentation that they'll hit on. And you, it's not the same every time, right? Candace was six. We were fishing another time not catching anything. We're out near Lincoln City on a lake out there. And she had her pole and it had a bobber on the end of it and she was just running up and down the shore, dragging her bobber everywhere. And I said, Candace, honey, you have to be quiet or the fish won't bite, right? How many times have you heard that from your dad if you've been fishing? And if you run and move the bait like that, they won't hit it. She goes, no, they will, dad, they will. I'm mean, like, you don't know anything about fishing. I go, no, honey, they won't. They will, Dad, they will. And she's running along. All of a sudden, zzz, it goes down, and she reels a fish. And I'm going, come on. That's not, how you, that's not how you catch fish. Two fish caught that day, both by a little six-year-old running her bobber up and down the lake. And that's all we had, and it worked. And she said, I told you, Dad. I'm about ready to give up that whole fishing thing. Kids are better than I am. But the point is, God will speak specifically and show different ways. It's not the same in every setting and every person. And the Holy Spirit's so smart, he'll use the wealth of wisdom from this word to come out of our hearts, our mouths, our lives. And God says, I want to help you be fishers of men and I'll show you how to make it very attractive with gracious speech. Not condemning hearts, 1 Peter 3, but respect Christ as a holy Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to answer anyone who gives, who asks you to explain, rather, about the hope you have. But answer in a gentle way with respect. Gentle with respect, orientation towards unbelievers. Do you ever notice in the Bible that every time Jesus meets someone who doesn't know the Father, doesn't know him, you get the feeling that they understood he liked them. Right? It was the, it was the, it was the religious person that Jesus really came down hard on. The, sac, the, 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 the pharisaical spirit. I'm special and you're not. That's where Jesus did his work. With unbelievers, he was always giving gracious words and gentleness and never trying to force anything. 
But he did talk to them about truth and living water. Gentle, with respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak evil of your good life in Christ will be made ashamed. Last thought today. So that you might have the right response for everyone. That's what I was speaking to earlier about that fishing. There's, there's a different response for everyone. It's the four spiritual laws kind of work. I mean, it's the Bible and it's truth, but if you give a rote presentation in every setting, it's just not gonna go that well for you. Care about them, love them, walk with them, be among them. Here's a thought, here's a thought I, I, I wanna ask you. I don't normally give assignments. I'm not gonna follow up on this assignment. I can't do that. But I'm gonna ask you if you'd consider hanging out with an unbeliever at your house. How do you do that? You just invite a neighbor over for dessert. I'm not even asking you to be religious in your conversation. I'm asking you to invite an unbeliever. It could be at a coffee shop if you want, but I'm asking you to pray and just hang out with them and see what happens. When they come over, just be kind, have fun. They think Christians don't have fun and they have to accept this you know, no smiles, terrible lifestyle to come to Jesus. They don't even know Christians have the most fun in the world because it's good, clean fun that doesn't damage you. But I just have a feeling that if we'll have that orientation where we're looking for unbelievers, we're caring for them, and we're hanging out with them, ready to seize an opportunity if God brings it. Because usually, I mean, he may not bring it, he may not ask you to say anything for several times that you're hanging out with them. Then the opportunity will come. Would you consider hanging out with an unbeliever? That's your assignment if you choose to accept it. You just pray and invite someone to hang out with you. See how it goes. Love on them. Well, this last word, so that you might have the right response for everyone. I I read a story I really liked this week about a lady named Fanny Crosby. She was born in the 19th century. She was blind soon after her birth. So blind most of her life. She wrote some of the most popular hymns that the world has ever known, Christian songs. As a matter of fact, in the 1950s, they inducted her into the Country Music Hall of Fame, a, a, a hymn writer. She's been gone for some time, but they, they, they put her in the Hall of Fame country music in the 20th century. Some of her songs we still love to sing. Have you ever heard the song, Blessed Assurance? That was Fanny Crosby's song. Or these words, Jesus is tenderly calling you home. Fanny Crosby wrote that. I mean, it's something to be a songwriter. It's another thing to have your songs have a shelf life of a couple hundred years, you know. I read this story about her going to the Macaulay Rescue Mission in New York City. She stood before a crowd of homeless, drug-addicted, alcoholic men this blind lady. And she said this. I wonder if she's prompted by the Spirit when she said it. Is there a young man here who doesn't have a mother? And one young man timidly raised his hand and he explained that she died when he was very young. And she asked him to come to the front in this public setting. And here's what she did. She was led to him And she gave him a big hug and she kissed him on the cheek. She embraced him. And it so touched her heart that she went home that night and she wrote these words. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. 
Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Years later, a famous evangelist named D.L. Moody was in St. Louis, and the guy that sang at the Crusades was Ira Sankey, a famous singer. Ira got up to sing a song at this crusade, but before, before he did, he, he, he told the story that I just told you. It was the song that had the words that I just spoke of, Jesus is mighty to save. And he told about a young man who had said he didn't have a mother, and someone in the crowd shouted out, it was me, it was me. I'm the young man she wrote about. She kissed me, he said, and I could never get away from that moment. And he went on to explain that as a result of that evening, he became a Christian, he straightened out his life, and he'd followed Christ all these years. I I read that and I thought, that's kind of what, what we're trying to do. Embrace the unbeliever. How does God feel about the unbeliever? Maybe way different than you and I. When the prodigal was coming home, do you remember the story of the father running out and he embraced, just like Fanny Crosby did, and what did he do to the prodigal son? The Bible says he kissed him. As a matter of fact, the translation in the Greek literally means to smother with kisses. So it was more than one. It was a lot of them. Again, I'm not saying that would be appropriate for you with an unbeliever walking through these doors, but in the realm of the Spirit, what God wants to do is give an attractive presentation and He wants us to embrace others so that they can feel His kiss. And that's what He's calling us to. That's what He's asking us to come alive to. He'll give us opportunities. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all men to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father.